Butts and Guts, a Cleveland Clinic podcast exploring your digestive and surgical health from end to end. So welcome to another episode of Butts and Guts. I'm your host, Scott Steele, Chairman of Colorectal Surgery here at the Cleveland Clinic in beautiful Cleveland, Ohio. I'm very pleased to have Dr. Luca Stuckey here with us. Luca is the head of our research in the Department of Colorectal Surgery. He's also a full professor of surgery at the Cleveland Clinic Lerner College of Medicine. And today we're going to talk a little bit about perianal Crohn's disease. Luca, welcome to Butts and Guts. Thank you for having me. So I want to start out, tell the audience a little bit about you. How did it wind up that you were born in Italy and wound up here at the Cleveland Clinic? I was born in Italy and went to medical school there. And then I came to the United States with the idea of spending a period which became basically the rest of my life. So I did residency in the United States and here I am. So Luca, let's take a step back before we hone in on perianal Crohn's disease and just talk about Crohn's disease in general. What is Crohn's disease? It is a chronic inflammatory disease that can involve the entire gastrointestinal tract and therefore it's so far a disease that has not been able to be completely cured by either medical or surgical means. Fortunately, it's a variable disease and some individuals have a very favorable course. Unfortunately, some other individuals have a very unfavorable course and require multiple operations, interventions and prolonged medical management. So it's a very bizarre disease that can vary from mild to extremely aggressive and associated with poor quality of life. What is perianal disease? Apart from Crohn's, what, what type of disease processes fit into perianal disease? A variety of conditions ranging from lumps and bumps around the anus to small holes with uh, the inside of the anal canal to collection of pus referred to as abscesses, which can cause acute symptoms of infection, cause pain, fevers, and discomfort, as well as malodorous discharge. And all of this can also be associated with improper altered bowel movements and bowel function, which can lead at times to incontinence to stools. What makes perianal Crohn's disease different from run-of-the-mill disease processes like you were talking about before? So somebody that could send a hemorrhoid or a fissure or a fistula or tags or anything in the in the anal region. What is it about Crohn's that makes those a little bit different? The difference is that it is a manifestation of a chronic condition that can be associated with other location of disease and is recurrent and therefore difficult to eradicate. In the specific case, a mild form of perianal Crohn's disease may at times behave similarly to the more sort of garden variety perianal Crohn's disease. So there may be situations where the treatment is not so different, but I think that the context is profoundly different, and that is where, as caregivers, we need to be attentive to the context of perianal Crohn's disease. What percentage of patients that have Crohn's disease will suffer from perianal Crohn's disease. And is it a different patient population? Is it a good prognosis? Is it a bad prognosis? I think I would say about uh, 30% of patients, 35% of patients have some manifestation, and it depends on the definition of perianal Crohn's disease in the various studies. Uh, in general, it's associated more commonly with Crohn's disease located in the large intestine and is an adverse prognosticator. So. If there's also concomitant bowel disease, 
the presence of perianal Crohn's disease generally indicates a greater aggressiveness of the disease as a whole. There may be other cases where perianal Crohn's disease is the initial presentation of disease and the disease itself is not diagnosed and it may take even years to diagnose the disease and the manifestation can be relatively mild. Luca, you brought up a great point there and one I want to make sure the audience understands. You said that there are patients that the perianal disease may present as their first initial symptom or, or presentation of Crohn's. So what are some of the symptoms of perianal Crohn's disease? And if at all, are there symptoms, again, different from the normal perianal disease and that of Crohn's? The symptoms can be similar to the general symptoms uh, that we mentioned earlier. So sense of pain, heaviness, discharge, unusual discharge, purulent discharge, uh, sometimes associated with fever, with alteration of bowel function. And the idea that this could be related to Crohn's disease may take some time to be understood. But I think that there are some signs that could make it more suspicious. For example, the young age of the patients that is general. No comers, again, it's possible to have garden variety, or as we say as doctors, idiopathic perianal Crohn's disease, but uh, I think a young patient raises this suspicion, and then uh, when we see such a patient, we need to elicit the history and see if they have a history of inflammatory bowel disease, which would be unfortunately a red flag. And then I think that as caregivers, we can see particular features of the manifestations of disease, which probably the patient himself or herself cannot distinguish, but, but we can. And, and for example, the course of some of these tunnels that are called fistulas that can develop, the fact that these tunnels can have branching patterns in, instead of having just a single tunnel, and, uh, and then other manifestations within the anal canal, such as uh, fissures or the particular skin tag that a patient can develop in these circumstances, which have a particular form and are sometimes particularly large, so that they have been called cauliflower uh, skin tags. And so when you see any of these manifestations, the level of suspicion increases. But again, even even though this is a, a number of features in the individual patients, it may be impossible even for years to characterize this as uh, for sure a type of fistula associated with Crohn's disease. Okay, so let's take a scenario now. I'm a patient was doing well, otherwise young and healthy. I felt something on my bottom and I went out to see my primary care doctor and they said, indeed, I have a fistula or a tag or a fissure. But they said to me that I'm concerned that this might be Crohn's disease and I'd like you to see a colorectal surgeon. Walk me through what that patient can expect during an office visit with you. A conversation on family history, a conversation on other symptoms, particularly bowel symptoms abdominal pain, diarrhea, inability to tolerate food, episodes of vomiting, abdominal distension, any admission to the hospital, what was the reason, if there was a reason associated with that, if they ever had imaging to their abdomen that could elicit possible bowel disease, and then more specific to the issue of perianal disease, how long it has been going on, what are the characteristics, is it a more chronic uh, or intermittent process, or is it an acute process in the face of otherwise excellent health? And then I, I would try to do, if the patient can tolerate that, an examination of the anus, including an oscopy, assessing the 
anal canal and seeing the characteristics of the disease. Uh, so as we said, the possibility of fissure, possibility of stricture, possibility of inflammation in the anal canal, possibility of multiple fistulas, abscesses, and then uh, skin tags. Also the position of the fissure, so if it's not the more idiopathic, uh, so for garden variety kind of fissure is located posteriorly, a location that is off that position uh, is is generally a, a reason for suspicion that it's associated with Crohn's disease. Again, the skin tag, their characteristics, as we said. And then I would probably order down the line an endoscopy, so a colonoscopy, which uh, can give us an idea of the condition of the rest of the lining of the large intestine. And if I have a suspicion for symptoms in the abdomen and CT enterography to specifically look at the small bowel. Yeah, that's a lot to unpack there. So just kind of working through that, sounds like they're going to come in and get a nice discussion about the different things, get an examination of that perianal region, and then potentially a smaller scope that looks at the inside of the anus. You also mentioned that we want to evaluate the whole bowel. So we want to get a special CT scan to take a look at the small bowel and then a colonoscopy for that uh, evaluation of the colon. Medical treatments for perianal Crohn's. What are the medical treatments for perianal Crohn's? And does it depend on the type of lesion that you're dealing with down there to determine what is a better response to medical therapy versus what may need to go on to surgery? I think the medical options are generally viewing the modern management of perianal Crohn's disease as complementary to surgery. And so it's important first to, to be in agreement with the diagnosis because some of the medications have significant adverse effects. And so our gastroenterology colleagues do not want to use medications lightheartedly if the diagnosis is uh, not clear. But once the diagnosis is clear, I think that there is a number of options that are available. The first and most important thing is uh, we need to be sure that there's no active and undrained pus in the area. That is the first and foremost goal that we need to achieve. And once this is cleared, then all the options are open. And the options uh, range from antibiotics, which can be used in the short terms sometimes to help with the operation if there are manifestations such as cellulitis and in some cases patients that are immunosuppressed and have local procedure to drain pus. Then medical options can include immunosuppressants, which are particularly useful in case of synchronous bowel disease and are accepted, validated long-term options. And then there's the class of biologics, which is the class that probably has the greatest effectiveness within the medical options in uh, the management of perianal Crohn's disease. And that has a variety of four or five agents that are commonly used now. And that can be used uh, optimally to address synchronous Crohn's disease in the bowel. But it can be also effective when the disease is limited to perianal Crohn's disease. And again, I want to emphasize the modern management of Crohn's disease is generally accepted. And, and numerous studies have proven this, that it's a combination of medical management to surgical management. I think it's unusual for perianal Crohn's disease, at least in the modern management, to be managed medically and to recur to surgery only once medical management fails, which is somewhat of a difference when compared to bowel Crohn's disease. 
So we're going to have it as a given that the patients are optimally medically managed, but they come and see you. And because there's a large number of different pathologies within the perianal Crohn's disease, I'm just going to kind of walk through and just so the patients can get a rough idea, but just in very broad general terms, understanding that individual results may change. Abscess, how is that treated? The optimal treatment is incision and drainage. And so if a patient is very motivated and tolerates pain well, this could be done in the office under local anesthesia. I think most patients with perianal Crohn's disease having an abscess require treatment under anesthesia, usually an outpatient procedure. And at that time, the abscess is drained. And we look at possibility of synchronous fistulas, which can be present or not, and which can be identified or not. And if there's no fistula identified, the treatment is limited to incision and drainage of the abscess. Okay, let's jump right into fistula, which you mentioned earlier in the podcast that that was a tunnel from the inner part of the lining of the anal canal itself to the outer part of the skin. How are those in general treated? In general, they are treated with the placement of a sort of loose rubber band, which we call seton, which has the purpose of controlling the discharge and controlling the symptoms, the most uh, difficult symptoms for the patients associated with this condition. This is uh, a solution that can be associated with the long-term permanence of drainage in the in the fistula and down the line, more aggressive uh, options can be used to address the fistula and try to close it for good. But I think uh, in the initial assessment of uh, a fistula and initial treatment in most patients with Crohn's disease would be placement of a loose seton. If you're speaking to surgeons out there who don't see a lot of Crohn's, do you have a word of advice or maybe a word of caution when dealing with fistulas in the Crohn's patient right off the bat? I would be very careful to do a fistulotomy, so to fillet open the fistula. It's an option, it's possible, but I think that, especially in the acute setting, is important to assess what else is going on in terms of intestinal disease. The priority is controlling symptoms. I think that the lucetone allows for temporizing future possible management with other options and effectively controlling symptoms without cutting any bridges. It is still possible down the line to do a fistulotomy in those selected cases where a fistulotomy is appropriate and successful. Anal fissure. Anal fissure is a variable manifestation of, in terms of symptoms of Crohn's disease. And so I think that as far as surgical management, there's not a lot of good options. I think it's important to understand if an anal fissure is as part of the complex presentation of perianal Crohn's disease, but is not responsible for uh, symptoms. If it is uh, associated with pain, which is not very common, most of the, the fissures are not associated with intrinsic pain, I think that is one of those uh, situations where medical management is generally more effective than surgery. So I think that unlike in the idiopathic fissure, uh, Crohn's fissures uh, should not be aggressively treated with surgery, particularly surgery that involves cutting of the sphincter muscle. And there can be a role injecting locally under anesthesia steroids, but this can be sometimes only associated with temporary improvement and is not a long-term solution. I think that uh, the most successful patients who have fissures and have symptoms are those who respond to medical management 
there's not a lot of surgical procedures that we can do to correct that specifically and when considered alone. So you'd also mentioned how does patients present you, you brought up the term of the larger skin tag, sometimes referred to as a lot of different things, but it's even been referred to as the elephant ear because they're bigger and they're flatter. So what do you do about those patients who come in and they're bothering them? They said they don't like the appearance of them. They're having problems with hygiene. What about the skin tags or even hemorrhoids in, in Crohn's patients? How do you figure that out? Many patients come in with the idea that they can be removed, and I, and I warn them against it because in Crohn's disease, healing can be a problem. And while it's not always a problem, it, it has to be considered when uh, assessing more aggressive operative options. Again, it's one of those situations where it's not easy to find the optimal treatment, and it's more an issue of controlling symptoms rather than resolving completely the condition. Injection of long-acting steroid solutions can be helpful, and some patients do have them and do have them repeatedly. But I think that the symptoms tend to improve when management is successful. And again, medical management is the most important issue in this particular subset of patients. And it has most of the times an intermittent uh, nature, so it's sometimes more symptomatic than others. But again, I, I would say from a surgical standpoint, uh, we should be very prudent and not excise systematically this uh, large skin tag because they can uh, result in unhealed wounds that are even more painful than the skin tag themselves. And so generally I refrain from excising them. Luca, I got two patient questions that said that they had perianal Crohn's disease. And in one of the patients said that they had to have a bag for just perianal Crohn's disease. And I had another patient that said they had to have their rectum removed in a permanent bag for perianal Crohn's disease. Is this really the case? Can this happen? And if so, how often does this occur? It is entirely possible. And uh, it does occur in the most aggressive presentations of perianal Crohn's disease. Now, when we look at the literature on perianal Crohn's disease and the issues of how often it's necessary to have a bag, I would say if we consider perianal disease alone, this is unusual. It's not impossible, but it is unusual. But what is not completely clear in the literature when assessing patients with perianal Crohn's disease is what is the burden of associated bowel disease, in particular the associated inflammation of the rectum. And those are the cases that most of the times lead to permanent ileostomy, which can be either permanent ileostomy after removal of the rectum or an ileostomy, which is simply a deviation of the flow of the intestinal content, uh, leaving the rectum in place, uh, as we say, a stoma diversion. And these are rare. They're not common when considering all the patients that have perianal Crohn's disease at uh, a given time. But those who have significant inflammation of the rectum associated or not with perianal Crohn's disease may require this, unfortunately, drastic surgical options. What other complications can occur with perianal Crohn's disease? The most challenging complications are infections of the areas that are poorly controlled. So it can progress to infections that can involve the rectum, that can make the rectum impossible to use. Rarely, but very seriously, they could end up involving the bone uh, surrounding the rectum. So. Uh, originate a rare but very hard case of osteomyelitis of the coccyx or in, in rare cases of the sacrum, which is very difficult to treat. I think that the aggressiveness of perineal Crohn's disease can also lead to 
functional problems, so inability to control stools, fecal incontinence, and therefore poor quality of life. Can perianal Crohn's disease develop into cancer? It is possible, and, and it is a recognized long-term complication. And so it's important that somebody with perianal Crohn's disease has a doctor that is familiar with this condition who examine uh, this person periodically. And I think that especially in perianal Crohn's disease that has been there for several years, it is possible to develop cancer, sometimes cancer of the skin, sometimes the type of cancer that would originate from the rectum, but still in the perianal Crohn's disease. And so when the educated eye sees areas that are harder, that have a particular aspect that is not suggestive of simple fistula, it's important to do the biopsy. Again, this is not a common complications, but as, as you point out, this is certainly a possible complication of perianal Crohn's disease. So if you were to sum up some quick take-home points for our listeners out there about perianal Crohn's disease, what would your sum-up points be? Do not ignore it. Seek a specialist and then expect this as a problem that unfortunately the patient needs to live with. Not possible to cure it as of now, but I think possible to control it, control the symptoms, control the complications, treat the complications, and hopefully allowing most of the patients an appropriate and enjoyable quality of life. So we'd like to end up with our guests some quick hitters. Number one, what's your favorite sport? Basketball. Number two, favorite meal? Pizza. What's the last book that you read? Underground Airlines by Ben Webster. Ben Webster, Underground Airlines. And what do you like about living here in Cleveland? A family-oriented town, a lot to do, good people, and I like my workplace. Great stuff. So for more information about Cleveland Clinic's Digestive Disease and Surgery Institute, please visit clevelandclinic.org slash digestive. That's clevelandclinic.org slash digestive. And to make an appointment with a Cleveland Clinic digestive specialist, please call 216-444-7000. That's 216-444-7000. Luca, thanks so much for joining us on Butts and Guts. Thank you for having me. That wraps things up here at Cleveland Clinic. Until next time, thanks for listening to Butts and Guts.